praise the Lord. We thank God for this opportunity to share his word. Um, it has been a wonderful journey in this scripture. I'm going to tell you what I really love about it. The, the This Bible study is, is that we're not in a rush. We, we just kind of just go through and, and it doesn't really matter how much, you know, time it takes now. And there are plenty of Bible studies that, that will, um, you know, you're interested in, you know, hurry up and getting through and get to the next top topic and that there's nothing wrong with that. And there are times for that. Um, but what I learned to do is to appreciate everything that's in the word so much. So to the point where I've had to discipline myself to stop and turn over every stone. I don't want to miss nothing. I don't want to miss nothing. And I think that if you're listening to this, you're probably a little bit similar to me and you don't want to miss anything either else. You would probably go on to something else. So we always appreciate you taking the time to listen to what God has, uh, even if many times some or we we retread some of the things. It's just something. There's something new every single time. Now, the word of God says in first Samuel, chapter 17, verse 32 through 37, we start with this always. And David said unto Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. May the Lord add a blessing to those who hear and do and obey his word. Amen. I say this many times. I'm going to say it again. The blessing is in the obedience. You know, there's, there's a measure of it in hearing. But hearing, true hearing, according to the Bible, is equated with obedience. So in God's perspective, you have not heard him unless you are doing what he says. Going through the motion or going through the practice of simply listening to scripture or reading the scripture, that doesn't, that it doesn't stop there. That isn't enough, Okay. God, because you go to church, you listen to a sermon, amen, where the man of God hopefully is rightfully dividing the word of God, and he's preaching the word out there. You are in the congregation. You are hearing it. Now, to the world and the way society works, you have heard the message. That's what you have. You sat under someone who is speaking and you attentively listen. Hopefully you attentively listen. You weren't too distracted, but you, you listened. Okay. Now by the world's reckoning, that is listening, but God's kingdom does not work that way. And you must understand that God has already told you that his ways are not yours and his thoughts are not yours. They're not even almost similar. They're not even going. We're on a journey to become like God. Amen. We're getting our hearts. He's getting our hearts and our minds and our thoughts right. Getting, he's realigning us every day that we stay in the word. Amen. And again, that's not just reading the word, but we are doing the word. God, though we, um, though it can be acknowledged that yes, we are sitting and listening in the technical sense, but in spiritual sense, you haven't listened at all. You haven't listened one bit until you are doing what that word says. So brothers and sisters, do not make a mistake and do not neglect to be obedient to the word of God. Else the Lord will say, you did not hear me. Amen. He's not going to hear all that. Oh, but I was right there when the preacher was talking. God's going to be like, I don't care. He's going to say, what did you do? You're going to say nothing. And he's going to say, so you wasn't listening. That's the, I'm telling you, that's how that's going to play out. God doesn't, God, God is not a, you know, God don't, you can't, you can't put on a show for God. God know what you're doing. You can, you can fool everybody else. You can fool the best of them, but you will never 
ever, ever get one over on God. He know you're not doing what that word says. You know you're not doing it, and he knows that you're not doing it. And as long as you keep trying to, to, to comfort yourself and soothe yourself and convince yourself that you are a child of God, all the while you do nothing that he says, let me give you some bad news. You are not a child of God. You can't be one like that. You got to be obedient. So make sure, amen, amen. Your faith have to have works, works of faith, amen. They validate or they prove the existence of your salvation. You can't hear the words of God and not do what he says, amen. Now, it is written, if we pick up our text, um, we talked about some really good things last week. Um, really wonderful things. And one of the things that we, um, we left off with was that of um, asking a question, a very pointed question, um, because we talked about how David stood, you know, David or the team, David stood up on behalf of his countrymen. Now, he didn't know each and every one of those people. And we said that last week. He didn't know each and every one of those. So those that he stood up for when he faced down Goliath, that would have been friends, that would have been for family, that would have been for acquaintances, and that would have been for strangers. He didn't know everybody in that kingdom. Amen. Just as you don't know everybody everywhere that you go. Yet, David stood up against this bully. David stood up against this enemy of God and all that belongs to God. He stood up not only for God, but on behalf of his brothers and sisters, amen, whether he knew them or not. And we asked the question, would we be willing to do that? Are we willing to push past on behalf of somebody else? And we talked about, you know, this being especially so in the case of salvation, when we know someone is not saved, where we will, and, and, and the only, um, uh, uh, and the only thing that you really would get out of it is, 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 is knowing that they've gained the strength to stand on their own. Would we be willing to do that? If we weren't, if we couldn't get a monetary reward or some other type of reward that we could immediately, what if the only reward is standing up for somebody to help them overcome their fear? Because many times to help someone overcome fear, when to, in order to help someone overcome their fear, okay, you have to first stand up against the thing that they're afraid of. That's how you do it. That, that, that's how you help someone overcome their fear. You face the fear on behalf of them, thus displaying there's no reason to be afraid. Amen. Amen. The Lord did this for us. For all intents and purposes, if you think about it, what is the one thing that, that many people are afraid of? Can you guess what it is? I'll let you know. It's death. Most people are afraid of death death but jesus faced it down death where's your sting grave <laughs> where's your victory god took all that he faced all that look he took death head on and he beat that thing into the ground and rose up on the third day, man, resurrection day, with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. The greatest fear that we have, arguably. God walked in and walked right out. Been there, done that, took care of that. Blew those doors wide open. The victory and the sting, man, is, I mean, <laughs> he dismantled all that. And now we can live without fear, knowing that the same spirit that raised up Christ, if it be in us, it'll raise us up at the last day. Glory to God. Glory to God. I hope you, hope you hear that. That's some good news. That, and, but, but that, and that's an example. When, when you stand up against fear on behalf of somebody else, to do that, you must first face that fear. And that's what David did. And that is what we talked about. And that was really, we're really good. Because we talked about that. We really learned a lot about pushing past fear to accomplish things um, 
on behalf of somebody else. Amen. That's some really that and and make sure that you don't forget that because you really do need to keep that in mind. Now, it is written because we also talked a little bit, we, we prefaced it all talking a little bit about Cain, and we said a lot of different things because Cain brought up that question, am I my brother's keeper? And, and we learned throughout all this that yes, we are. Now, it is written that the strong must stand up for the weak or bear the infirmity. So look at Romans chapter 15. We want you to look at verses one through three. Romans 15, one through three. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. There we go. He's telling you that's what you should be doing. So if you're not doing that, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. When we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So you can't be looking for your own gain. Okay. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Amen. That really tells you right there that when you do, when you step to the plate to help someone gain strength, to overcome the things that have put them to fright and flight, the things that they are afraid of, you cannot do that self-serving and trying to please yourself. That's not going to work. That attitude of self-centeredness is not going to allow you and afford you the strength Okay, to stand up against that, that those fears, and especially in a manner that God's going to be pleased with. No, it ain't going to work that way. Okay, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. That's not talking about for his good to your edification. That's talking about for your neighbor's good to your neighbor's edification. Which means that the spotlight is really not on you. Standing up on behalf of your brothers and sisters, bottom line, and in short, it's an act of selflessness. And as long as you are self-centered and self-serving, you are never going to rise to the occasion that God has given you the strength to do because he's given you the strength to stand in the gap for your brother and your sister. But many of us, we don't do it. You don't know why? Because we off somewhere in the corner reading our own news release, reading our own press. We stuck on ourselves. We too busy trying to see what we can get. You love the word. You just love the parts that talk about how you're going to be blessed. But let me tell you something. You better get out your own way. Because you are shot blocking yourself. This selfishness, this self-centeredness, where you all about, you, you love it. You, you love church. You love the word. You love to be blessed, but you won't do nothing to bless somebody else. You are not fooling anybody. God sees this, and he is not pleased. And I'm telling you, and I'm warning you, you better wake up. You better wake up. You better figure out whose kingdom you building. Because many of us who will hear this lesson, and I know this part is hard, you are building your own kingdom. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to tell you what, it's like that, uh, the folly of that. <laughs> it's like the man who, um, who goes and buys a uh, 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 it could be anything. It could be a desk. It could be some sort of for anything that he's got to put put together. And the man who that's the 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 it, but but the man is impatient. He pull opens up the box and he gets all of the pieces out and all this sort of stuff and so on and so forth. And um and he decides that you know what you know as he reads the instructions and it's like man it's a whole lot of pieces to all of this right. And then the guy goes further and further and as he goes he gets more and more frustrated with building this whole thing and 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 before you know it you know the guy thinks that he knows how it's supposed to go and and he decides that you know what you know what I'm gonna go off road I'm not even gonna use the instructions or follow the instructions exactly to the T I'm gonna fix it i'm gonna do it my way and before you know it he gets it all done and it looks the part but then it's one problem there are some leftover pieces and he looks at him and he and he says yeah i didn't need these anyway 
chunks them over his shoulder, gets rid of them, begins to use whatever else it is. Only to discover that because he didn't use all of the pieces, the end result was unstable. The longevity of that thing was nothing to write home about because it didn't last that long. Because it didn't have all of the pieces and all of the things to hold it together. And I'm going to tell you something that if you build in your own kingdom, it is the equivalent of building something without all the pieces necessary to make it work. And you might think that you're going to get by, but I'm going to tell you something, you're not going to get away. Because, because you cannot build a life of holiness on top of unholiness. You can't do God's way and yours. You're going to have to choose. And as long as you keep choosing yourself, your own ambition, your own desires, your own goals, all the while you rifle everyone else to the side and push them all off into the corner, and yeah, or you deal with them only um, to the extent that you have something to gain. That type of self-centeredness, that, self that selfishness, that ain't the love of God. And you're not, and I'm, I'm, and I'm, and I'm going to tell you, you're not going to make it that way. You cannot fool God. Not at all. Amen. Amen. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification for even Christ, please not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. And what that literally is talking about is literally is that our sin, our wickedness that fell on him. He who knew no sin, he who knew no wickedness. And he did it selflessly for our benefit. The call to Christianity or the call to God is a call to be like God. You can't be like God without being like God. <laughs> I know that sounds funny, but that's what it is. And some of us, you're trying to be like God without being like God. You let me know how that works out because I'm, I could be, <laughs> matter of fact, don't even, don't even bother because it ain't going to work out. You cannot be like God trying to do your thing too. It's, it's one or the other. It's one or the other. And it has always been that, and it will always be that. I told you that the strongest presentation of love possible by humanity really is that of self-sacrifice on the behalf of someone else. And this is what we said that Jesus did. And one of the many things that separates him from everyone else. And we saw that when we looked at Romans chapter five, we looked at verse number six and we looked at verse number eight, verse number six told us for when we were without strength in due time, what Christ died for the ungodly. That was all of us. And we did a whole, almost a whole deep dive into that. And then verse number eight said, but God commanded or commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you see, he doubled down, doubled down on on, on that whole theme in verses five and verse number eight um, in Romans chapter five, okay? That he did it on our behalf in spite of the fact that we didn't request it, we didn't ask him to do it, we didn't deserve it. We all know that, right? But the point is, is that God did what he did for you all the while not waiting for you. He didn't wait for you to get ready. He knew that you weren't ready and you needed his help. So he helped you. He knew that the cost, the price of sin, it wasn't going nowhere. I I've said this before. Sin is only dealt with in one of two ways. It must either be remitted or pardoned. Okay. Or in other words, forgiven or it must be paid for in full. That's it. There's no middle ground. Ain't no layaway. 
Mm-mm. Ain't no, ain't no, ain't, ain't, ain't no, ain't no buy now, pay later. No. You and I were on our way to hell. And we were absolutely hell deserving. Matter of fact, we deserve it still. But God, who loved you and me when we gave and constantly give him no reason to do so, loved us so much that he made a way out of no way. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son. Do you, do you hear do you hear it? He created a son and then he gave, he created one son and then he gave that away. Gave him away to pay for the sins of you and me. Talk about giving you, do you hear what? <laughs> he says, I'm going to create one son, this body for me to inhabit. I'm going to jump in there and then I'm going to go and pay for these sins myself. That's what he did. That is literally what he did. Why? Because you were important to him. Why? Because he wanted fellowship with you. Why? Because he chose to love you even though you don't deserve it, even though I don't deserve it. That's just how good he is. Shows how terrible I am, but it also shows how good he is. And I'm glad that his good, God's goodness is greater than my terribleness. Oh, I'm so glad. I don't know how you feel about it, but I am glad that God's grace is deeper than my sin. Because man, our sin take us to some, has taken us to some, some lame places, some terrible places. But the light of that gospel came shining right through. Breaking the cloud canopy of sin. Here come that marvelous light. Burning away the fall of confusion and despair and hurt and anger and all of these different things. Here come those rays of God shining through. Man, ain't nobody like our God. There's nobody like our God. He is absolutely good. As believers, um, presenting this type of love is our responsibility. So family, make sure you understand that. You're not going to get away from that. That is your responsibility, the same type of love, that self, that selflessness love. That is what the Bible calls agape love. That's that real love. That's that unconditional love. That's that true, true, true love. That's the way God, this, God's love is described, it's described as agape. Okay, and that's the Greek word for that. Amen. And so that, that love, that, that, that agape love, so to speak, okay, as we, as we learn it. Okay, it's that unconditional love, that love that is not based and predicated on what someone brings to the table. In other words, it had in other in other in other words, that type of love, amen, simply has an object. Do you get what I'm saying? It has an object, but it doesn't necessarily have a reason. Let me make that plain to you. It has an object. God chooses to love you. But it has no reason that warrants it. In other words, it's not forced to do. It's not forced to love you. It's not forced. To, it's not this type of love is not forced. It's not it's not it, 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 it's it, it, it's not prompted. By anything external that the object does. The object does not justify the love. It is, it literally is an act of grace. It literally is. That type of love that I got, it literally is an act of grace. It comes out of God's goodness and it is not based on what you bring to the table. You don't bring anything. I don't bring anything. Never have, never could. He chose to love. 
And that type of love is your responsibility. God says, I set the pattern and I want you to follow it. So we're supposed to be doing the same thing, but yet it is one of the hardest things to do. Why? Because you look at Romans five and seven for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet pre-adventure for a good man. Some would even dare to die. The point is, and what the apostle um, Paul is trying to get in here is basically is what he's really trying to tell you with the scripture set or with the scripture verse is, is that when he says for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet preadventure for a good man, some will even dare to die. What he's telling is that if a part, you know, if what he was saying is, is that it's rare, almost non-existent, rare to find someone who will take one for the team if it means offering their life for somebody who is good and who is worth who is worth it who is worth protecting he said it's scarce to find someone who would do it even if they had somebody who was worth doing that for and what he's trying to show you is is that so you know what he's saying is so you know ain't nobody going to do that for somebody who is wicked and evil and is doing all kind of ain't no look if it's if you if you can barely find somebody to do it for somebody who is worth it you you ain't going to find you virtually ain't going to find nobody who's going to do it for somebody who is unworthy ain't nobody finna go do that take one for the team for a robber some old crook somewhere doing something he ain't got no business doing ain't nobody finna do that for no fornicator for no adulterer, ain't nobody going to take one for the team. No one's going to do any of that, and that's what the and that's what the apostle is trying to get across. That's what he's trying to communicate. But yet, still, greater love hath no man. It's still the greatest display of it. But he's saying it's. But he wants you to know it's a difficult thing to do. You hard pressed to find somebody to do it for somebody who who is worthy. You most certainly ain't going to find somebody who's willing to do it for somebody who ain't worthy. Yeah, you, it just, it just is it that that's just the way that it is. Now, Peter, and we told you Peter intended to do it. He intended to, to do right by God. Lord, you know what? Everybody else going to leave, but I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm going to stay right there. He wanted to be there. He wanted to do it. Had the intention, just like you and I at times, we, we, we have good intention. But when I tell you that this thing is easier said than done, it absolutely is. They, Peter found the words in ample supply. Listen to him in Matthew 26, 31 through 34. Then saith Jesus unto him, all, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered, look at this. Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. <laughs> Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. <laughs> look at look, look look how Mark look at Mark how Mark Mark heard it heard it in fourteen twenty seven to thirty Jesus said unto them all ye shall be offended because of me this night for it is written I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered but after that I am risen I will go before thee I will go before you into Galilee but Peter said unto him although all shall be offended yet will not I and Jesus said unto him verily I say unto thee that this day <laughs> look at look at this one. Look how, uh, how I love the detail that Mark puts in it. He says that this day, even this night, <laughs> he really fine tuned it. He really fine. He's really, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Are, are you? Are, do, do, do. <laughs> look at John thirteen thirty eight. Jesus answered him, "Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake?" Verily I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Talking it is one thing, family. But living it is always something else. That's where the, that's where the work comes in. That's where the rubber meets the road when it comes to walking this walk before God. 
it's easy to read the word and to memorize it and to quote it and all of these different things. That's why God don't count that. That's why that don't count for nothing. What counts is when you take that word and you live it and you do it. That is why it's too easy. You've got to be a doer of the word. You just have to. You have to. Intending to do a thing and actually doing it, actually doing that thing, sometimes are two very different things. They differ wildly at times. One does just not always automatically equate and equal the other. See, many times we know our brother or sister needs a helping hand. Many times we know that. We're not oblivious to it. We haven't, we're not that out of touch. We know. You know that your brother and your sister need some help. You know that. But the problem is, is that we often refuse or neglect to give it. And why do we do that? We know they need it, but we refuse or we neglect to do it. Why do we do that? Well, we come up with all kinds of different reasons. We come up with all kinds of justifications. So when we ask the question, why do we do that? Really, I mean, take your pick, 31 flavors. Everybody got a reason for why they didn't do this and why they didn't do that. But how about we move past why? And we look at how God Almighty sees it. Because perhaps if we look at how he sees it, that'll help us straighten up in the why department of why are we doing this? Maybe it'll help us even overcome that. See, the reason why we do it, man, that, like I said, 31 flavors. You, you, you pick, you decide. Everybody got a reason for why they're not doing what they know they're supposed to do. But here's what that Bible says. It is written, family. James 4, 17, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Uh, I, I told you. Now that's how God feels about it. What, what, what are you, what, Brother Walker, why did you say that? So what are you really saying? You, the question is, is why do we do this? And now you're telling me what that God says for to the person who knows to do good and do what they're not to him in his sin. Why are you telling me? What, I mean, I don't, I don't get it how, how it relates. Well, let me tie it together for you. The point is, is this. It doesn't matter what your reason is for why you are not doing what God has told you to do. If you know what God has told you to do and you refuse to do it or you neglect to do it, it is sin. And it is not going to be accepted and it's not going to fly with God. So in essence, what I'm telling you is God don't care what your reason is. He doesn't care what my reason is. I do better taking my reason and getting that under the blood saying, Lord, I got this in my heart. And, you know, and I really don't want to do that. And I really being honest with God, not trying to hide it and, and get away with it, but come to God, come up, come be straight, stand up, gird yourself up like a man. Or like a woman, stand up. He gave you permission to come before him. Go boldly before the throne of grace and tell God what's in your heart instead of, instead of just dancing and prancing around it. He already know what you think. And he has already given you an open door to come and talk to him. The word of God says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, yet shall they be white as snow. Look, listen, listen, listen. You have the opportunity to come to God. Even when you're not firing on all cylinders, even when you're messing up. So instead of just messing up, you already know your heart is wrong. You already know your mind is wrong. So instead of walking in that and letting it play out and, and, and man, just adding wrath to wrath, Go before God and be honest. God, I'm struggling. 
this person's really offended me. This person's really hurt me. This person's really just, and God, I don't want to. I, I, God, I know, I know what I should do, I, but I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want, I got, and I'm just being honest. See, that's what you got to do, brothers and sisters, when you feel that way. You human and you're going to have that from time to time, but you can't stay there because if you walk in it and wallow in it, you're going to begin to commit sin against the most high and you don't want to do that. Because then you're going to open up the door for him to have to chastise you. And again, you do not want that. Will you not learn the lesson of Jonah? He did the same thing. He already pioneered that same thing for you. Jonah, go to Nineveh and cry against it. Here come Nineveh. Here come, here come Jonah. Nineveh. Cry against it. Man, I'm going to Tarsus. Prophet got in a boat and went a whole different direction. Look, he was supposed to go one, one direction. He went the complete opposite compass direction. He said, God, I ain't doing nothing. I'm, I'm, you, uh, uh, uh. I don't like them. I want them to be. No, nah, I'm done with all that. I'm not doing that. Only for him to look up, find himself being cast over overboard. Not only am I cast overboard. But then he gets swallowed by a fish. Think about that. Think about that. Because the analogy is this, family. When you decide as a child of God that you're not going to do what God wants you to do, you're going to go sideways. You're going to go off road. You're going to do your own thing. Okay. When that happens, what the result of that, this is and this is really what happens. This is how people go in. This is how people fall into backsliding. Okay, so let's explain explain that. When God tells you to do something, the word outlines, this is how I want you to live or whatever else it is. But you got a problem with that because your flesh is not in control. Your flesh is out of control and your flesh is in this driver's seat when God is supposed to be in the, in the driver's seat. Okay, so you decide that you're going to just do what you want to do. You're going to, you, you, and God telling you, I want, this is where, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to dress. This is how I want you to act. This all, all God, God got it all lined out. God says, I picked out these clothes for you. I done made you, got your food for you. But you say, I don't want that, God. No, 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 I don't, I don't want any of that. I'm going to do this. I got this part. So then what happens is, is, is that you introduce what is known as carnality. Carnality is worldliness. So then all of a sudden you've been called, you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost. You ain't, you ain't wondering it because you don't spoke in tongues and you don't got you know, everything that came with it. You don't got the total package. You're not, you, you're not like somebody going around talking about, oh, I think I'm saved. Uh, no, 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 no. These signs shall follow them that believe. And you done seen the signs. You done seen the signs, all of it. You even spoke in tongues. Yeah, he done gave you a proof of receipt that he gave you, that he did what he was going to do because that's exactly what he does when he gives you the gift of the Holy Ghost. When you speak in tongues, that's that proof of receipt. That's what that is. That's how they knew that they had the Holy Ghost. They spoke in tongues. Oh, Brother Walker, everybody ain't going to speak. And they don't give me that. You have misinterpreted the gospel. You have misinterpreted the epistles. Trying to run to the epistle, not all going to do this. Now, uh, no, 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 no. That is how they knew. Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. Jesus said he wouldn't refuse the gift. So now this person has gotten this gift. They got all this different kind of stuff. But now they say, you know, I, man, I'm, I, I'm, I, I, I think I can take this part on, on for myself. I think I can do this part, God. So now next thing you know, you, 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 you start introducing carnality, worldliness. And as with Jonah, there's a metaphor in all of this. Jonah is first on the ship. That's the equivalent of you deciding when you make the decision that, you know what, I can, I can, you know what, I can do some of this worldliness 
and I can do some of this holiness at the same time, and it'll be good. I can do, I can, I can have the best of both worlds. You have bought, you have, you have found, a, you have chartered a ship to Tarsus, just like Jonah did. Glory to God. You better hear what I'm telling you. The moment you decide that I can walk the line, that I can exist in between, you have chartered a ship and you're on your way to Tarsus. You start out thinking that you can control it. That's the ship. You own a ship and the ship provides a measure of comfort. So, so you start out and you begin to think and entertain the idea that, you know what, I, 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 won't, I won't go too far. I, I, I know my roots. I know my this and I, I know my that. And I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. And, and, and I know how far to go. I know what I can do. I know my Christian liberties. I know what I can do. But then all of a sudden, the winds come and the rains. And what you thought you can control proves to be quite uncontrollable. So much so that like Jonah, you end up being thrown overboard. So I thought I could control it. But now, I am thrown into an element that I cannot control. That is the equivalent of when sin starts to, and everything around you starts to speed up. You start making these decisions and you ain't thinking about what's going on. And all of a sudden, all these things start to happen, start to unravel. And then life starts to take a turn. Now you're starting to spin out of control. And then once you lose the ability to control, Jonah couldn't control that water once he was in there. He couldn't control none of that. He's at the mercy of the swells of the, way, of the waves. But then to make matters worse, he gets swallowed by a fish native to the water. That's the equivalent of when the sin that you thought you could control overtakes you and swallows you whole. I hope you're hearing what I'm telling you. I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm preaching to somebody, teaching somebody, wherever you are when you listen to this. You can't have your way in God's way. To him that know to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You can, you don't even have to actively do the wrong thing. You can just choose to passively do nothing at all. And to God, that is the same as doing the wrong thing. Hope you hear it. Walking, living, and operating in love, it is our duty. Okay? It is. John, John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. Amen. Greater love hath no man than this. Greater means uh, in size, refers to size or, uh, or, in a por or in importance or the degree of something. Okay. The phrase lay down actually means to give up or to set aside. Okay. Amen. To give up is conceived of as uh, as of or representing laying aside a right or a possession. And you didn't understand that because he says, greater love have no man than this, that a man laid down his life. And when he says lay down his life, he's not talking about just sacrificing physically, but it means to give up or to lay aside a right or possession. And I hope you hear I hope you hear what the word is saying. That word life 
refers to the condition of living or the state of being alive, but more so than that, not just life for the sake of life, but it refers to the healthiness or happiness or energy or vitality. And what the Lord is telling you when he says greater love have no man than this, that he, that a man lay down his life for his friend. He's not talking about just laying down, physically sacrificing your life. You're not talking about just that, but he's also talking about laying down your rights, your privileges, so to speak, laying aside yourself. He's talking about becoming selfless. Yes, I could make it all about me. Yes, it can be all about this. But he's talking about laying that down. And he's saying that there's no greater love than when you sideline your agenda in order to help somebody else. And that's really what he's talking about. That is also what he's talking about. Putting yourself, voluntarily putting yourself on the back burner. When yes, you probably have the right to be on the front burner, but you value your brother and sister and you prioritize them. You prioritize their happiness, their well-being over your happiness and your well-being. In other words, you take one for the team, for the greater good, because they need it, because they need help. You do it because they need help. And you do it remembering that you needed help yourself. And Jesus Christ helped you. Amen. David says in Samuel 17, 32, he says, thy servant. Now, that's an interesting word that he uses here because servant means subordinate. Okay. And it's a title of humility for someone. Look at seven, 1 Samuel 17, 32, and David said unto Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. So he's dealing with the fear right there. That's where he's going to war. He says, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So he says, I'm going to step up. I'm going to take it on. I am going to take on the task. And he uses that word phrase, thy servant. And I said that that word servant means subordinate. Okay. And it's a title of humility for someone in a position of lower authority. Okay, or stature, whether in a relationship between two people or between a person and God, doesn't matter. Okay, it's a title of humility to say, Thy servant. He didn't call himself your champion. He didn't say, Thy champion. He didn't say, Thy deliverer. He didn't, he didn't give himself some boisterous or obnoxious term that he just decided to self-proclaim himself something. He didn't do none of that. He called himself a title of humility. He said, thy servant, referring to himself. David said, I am your servant. Listen, David is already anointed at this point and already knows that he will be the next king, but he is not king yet. And he knows his place enough to where he accepts his place. He says, thy servant. That's a whole lesson in this because there's a whole lot of people, you don't know your place. When it comes to God, you don't know your place. You're arrogant, rude, and disrespectful. And you forget that you are lower and he is higher. Humble yourself in the sight of God. Stop reading your own press release. Stop getting caught up on your own news. God don't care about your fake news. Stop thinking yourself more than what you are. If God had not saved you, you would not be here. 
remember your place before God. Don't walk before him in arrogance. Respect who he is. And he'll exalt you. He'll raise you up. You don't got to self-proclaim. You ain't got to do all that. God will raise you up. Don't worry about that. God will raise you up. But you got to know your role. And stay in it. See, the role of the servant is not one that most people see. Did you know that? Mm, no, it is not. It is not one that most people see. Thus, it is not nearly as sought after as it should be. No, not the role of the servant. In fact, it's probably the least sought after title or role of all. But why is that? Because at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you why. Because at the end of the day, people would rather be served than to serve. That's why I don't want that role. They would rather be served than to serve. We want to be looked at as being distinguished and or thought of as being someone great and important. That's what we would want. We don't want to be thought of as lesser. No. And sometimes we want this so much that we won't even wait for someone else to herald our accolades. We don't, we don't wait for somebody else to say, hey, you did a good job and this is so-and-so. We, sometimes we want it so much. We don't wait for somebody else to, to, to acknowledge us. No, 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 no. To, 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 to herald our, alco, al, our accolades and to give us some sort of noteworthy praise. No, no, we want it so much. Sometimes we take the task of self-praise onto ourselves. Many tote their own righteousness. This ain't nothing new. Do you not Proverbs 20 and 6? Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Who can find? I told you. Sometimes we want to we we want to be served so much we don't even wait for somebody to serve. We start serving ourselves. Just start. We don't wait for somebody to acknowledge us. We start acknowledging ourselves, walking in all kind of arrogance. But pri- and, and 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 every and every and with every time and we do it. We don't do nothing but confirm more and more Proverbs 20 and 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. See, let me give you a little bit of context here. Wanting to be um, perceived as being distinguished or honorable or seen as being great, that in and of itself is not in and of itself a bad thing, provided though, the desire is kept in check by a healthy dose and presence of humility. Because humility is the only thing that combats that, keeps you from walking into arrogance. See, Luke 14, 11 says this, for whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So he reveals a divine secret that in the kingdom of God, down is up and up is down. Do you see that? For whosoever exalted himself shall be abased. Exalt is up. Abased is down. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Humbleth is down. And again, exalted is up. You hear what I'm saying? Up is down, but down is up. And that's the way it works in God's kingdom. It's okay with wanting people to, to, to have a good opinion of you. There's nothing wrong with that. You ought to want to have a good name. The Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen. So it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can't want that by any means necessary to the point of walking in all kind of just wickedness and arrogance and self-centeredness. That's not going to work, family. That's never going to work. 
Because when you do that and you try to herald your own press, write your own news and all that other kind of stuff, I just told you, according to Luke 14 and 11, up is down and down is up. You got to go down in order to go up in God's kingdom. You got to go down in prayer. You got to go down in humility and God lifts you up. And as sad as it's sad because many have lost their way because of pride and arrogance, wanting to be great in the eyes of this world. Listen to me. It is not a state that a true believer in God Almighty it's not a state we can afford to operate in. And because it's not a state we can afford to operate in, then it cannot be a primary focus or goal of ours to be thought of as great and looked at as distinguished. And so you can't do that. You can't control what people think about you. And somebody listening, you need to stop trying to live your life for the sake of what somebody else is going to think about you. You, you better forget what other people got going on and you better live holy. Because if you focus on all of these things, you let this pride and this arrogance to get a hold of you, listen, it only leads to destruction. For whosoever exalted himself shall be abased. And as sad as this state is, and we're going to wrap this up, far too many of us live in it. Far too many of us live in it. And we see this in ministry and sadly, we see it far too much. It is too present and accounted for in the area of ministry. We covet mantles of people who we deem are great. We envy and we lust after titles. <laughs> we recklessly, to the detriment of our own brothers and sisters and to ourselves, we chase positions. We, we, we profusely crave notoriety. Man, it could be said that It could be said that we just want to be somebody. You, you could say that. But when does the cost to be somebody, to conform to the image of this world or some self-induced image, when does the cost to be somebody, when does it become a price that's too high to pay? Can we still hear the warning from Jesus? Because he's talking in Mark 8, 36, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Can you still hear Jesus? Because he's talking in Luke 9, 25, for what is a man advantaged if he gained the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Or has our conscience become so seared, so lifeless on the outside that we can no longer really even clearly hear his voice? First Timothy 4, 1 or 2 says this, 
Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You want to be great. But has that become so all-encompassing that you can no longer hear God? That you can't hear what he wants you to be because you're too busy building your own kingdom, conforming to the image that you want, which is really the propaganda that the devil provides. Definitely something to think on. God bless you, brothers and sisters. We're going to end it here and we will pick up next week. I pray that y'all have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday morning. I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording. Wow.